Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. Ed Hunt is currently on vacation. Uh, He's been my co-host for the past couple of years, and I'm going to miss him during this time. But filling in, we've got Brandon Bolin. Uh, he is going to help me out today. We're going to discuss a few topics. And, and Brandon joined us last month to talk about his favorite team, which is the Cleveland Browns. So how are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing fantastic. Fantastic day out in Colorado. It's about 85 degrees, so I've just been hanging out outside all day and ready to talk about some football. So are you into the outdoors? I mean, are you into hiking? I mean, this is what Colorado is usually all about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a big hiker. Um, I didn't really get into hiking until this year, but there's just too many places to try out in Fort Collins to not do it, you know. you got to live it up while you're here. All right, so I mentioned earlier that you're an avid Cleveland Browns fan. Uh, you've been rooting for them since you've been a little boy. And uh, what other interests do you have as far as football, as far as the draft, as far as college football who do you root for who do you like to watch on Saturdays or Sundays uh, you know just living in Colorado and everything um I still will support the Broncos I've got a special place in my heart for the Broncos um especially during that Manning era it was it was a really fun time to watch them so right now it's a little tough with Drew Locke under center but you know I'm still pulling for them every year as well as CSU. I'm a big CSU fan, being that I'm a student here, but I've always been a big supporter of CSU, and to be able to go to the school that I've always supported is just pretty awesome. And um, I was working with CSU's football team for a little while, and so to be able to see how that culture is ran and stuff just made me grow an entire new love for it. The Denver Broncos, I mean, you mentioned them. Obviously, they won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. Now you've got a quarterback dilemma You've got a quarterback battle in, in training camp. Are you a believer in Drew Locke? I mean, can he take it to another level? Can he finally live up to those expectations and become the quarterback that the Denver Broncos were hoping he would be when they drafted him in the second round? Or do you think that Teddy Bridgewater would eventually take that job? I was a big advocate for Drew Locke coming off of his rookie season, but I've started to regress on that. I don't know if Denver has the coaching around to take him to that next level. I think he has he has all the pieces around, so he really has no excuses to not be that quarterback. You have one of the more talented receiving cores in football. You have a solid offensive line and a good run game. So there's just no excuse for him not to be that guy. And I personally, I do think Bridgewater gets some playing time this year. He's he's a guy that has a very high completion percentage. And with this team, with guys like Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and K.J. Hamler, you just got to get the ball in their hands, and that's what Teddy Bridgewater does, whether it's a dink and dunk, but he's going to keep you on the field. I do think Teddy Bridgewater takes over at some point this year. See, I think Bridgewater is going to win that job in training camp just because John Elway has kind of moved on a bit. I mean, this front office, this head coach, they didn't draft him, to be honest with you. So mm-hmm. I just think they, they brought in Teddy to facilitate the offense. Yeah, he's not as exciting as Drew Locke. He can't throw it, you know, 70 or 80 yards downfield. He is more of a game manager, you know, five, seven yards. But I think that's what the Denver Broncos are looking for. Because aside from quarterback, you can make a case that, I mean, if the Denver Broncos had a quarterback, 
they would be a playoff team because they still have a good defense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Denver probably has top three defense in the AFC. The secondary, you can make a case, is the best in the league. They just brought in Fuller from Chicago, and Bryce Callahan's coming back off of a phenomenal season. Um, you re-sign Justin Simmons long-term. You're able to get Kareem Jackson back. You're getting a Vaughn Miller back. Denver's defense is looking terrifying. And like you said, if, if you have that quarterback situation figured out, if you could have somebody at least manage that offense, I could maybe see them sneaking into a wild card. It's just tough because the rest of that AFC West is pretty competitive. you got Justin Herbert on the rise as well, and you never know what the Raiders are going to do. But I think if um, Teddy Bridgewater can you know, manage the game for Denver, I think they could sneak into a wild card. I agree with you. I, I just think that Vic Fangio is also fighting for his job. I mean, nobody is going to accept another losing season. Nobody's going to keep them around. They have a new GM coming in, so this is kind of a wait-and-see situation. If if he can take a step forward, possibly have a winning season, then he stays. Not necessarily like a playoff type of season, but a winning season, maybe like 9-8. and eight. It's weird saying that, by the way, 9-8. and eight. Right. 17-game <laughs> 17, 17 season. I mean, you always kind of slip up there. I just think that Vic Fangio fighting for his job, he would be wise to go with somebody like Teddy Bridgewater because he can make him feel a lot more comfortable there. You just don't know with Drew Locke. I mean, he can come in and light it up, and we've seen this before. He can have a really good game, but then he'll have like a couple of really bad games. You know, I saw him in college at Missouri, and he still reminds me of kind of up-and-down type of player. Like, he hasn't been able to... Put it all together. He's not a consistent quarterback, and, and that's why I'm pushing for Teddy B in this offense with that running game, with those wide receivers, with that defense. You know that he's going to take care of the football and not turn the ball over. Exactly. I agree with you. Consistency is key with, with this Denver offense. You, just, you can't win games with your defense on the field, and Denver's defense was always on the field last year, and it's, you know, you got Drew Locke taking a shot 50 yards downfield when it's third and six, you know. Um, I just, I think Teddy Bridgewater's much better situational-wise, and I really, I really do believe he can manage this offense. The AFC West is a tough division. You have the Chiefs, you know, you have the Chargers who are going to be that sexy pick for the playoffs this year. You know, you still have the Raiders and and John Gruden, and they, they still have some pieces there. So Denver still looks like the fourth team in this division at this point just because of how unsettled they are at quarterback. And the other teams, they have the quarterbacks. And I think that's something to monitor as we move forward. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. We'll continue talking about the NFL. I want to find out from Brandon who his top NFC team is heading into this season. My top team for the NFC is hands down Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I can accept, you know, the Packers as an answer, but I just I don't think the Packers have the defense to compare to the Buccaneers. I mean, you have Mike Evans, who is the only player in NFL history to have a thousand yards in seven straight seasons. You have Chris Godwin, um, Antonio Brown, who I personally think still has it. I really do think he's going to be, you know, a 700 yard receiver this year. Leonard Fournette, who's hungry to prove himself again. Gronk, who's, you know, re with a seven-time Super Bowl champion, Brady leading the pack, you know. And the scary thing about the Buccaneers is the defense is, is nearly as impressive as the offense. 
you have the best linebacking duo in football in Levante David and Devin White, and I, I really don't think that's up for debate. Now, my only problem with that defense is the secondary might be a little bit of a concern. You know, if Carlton Davis is your best corner, you're definitely lacking a little bit of depth there, but you're, you're strong in the safety position with Antoine Whitfield Jr., so I really think that front seven helps the secondary look a lot better than they are, especially because that linebacking core is just so good in every aspect of the game when it comes to covering tight ends, stuffing the run. They're by far the most complete linebacking group in football, and I don't see a weak point on that team. I don't think it's a stretch to say they're going to a serious chance to repeat. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I started thinking about it, and I wanted to give it to somebody else, but the uncertainty with the Packers, the Aaron Rodgers situation – the Bucks are a better team. You make a, a really good point. Like they really, it was tough for me to find a weakness on this team. I guess I can make a case that it's probably the running game, because Leonard Fournette, even though he had a good playoff run, he's still a guy that that's pretty average. You know, Ronald Jones was effective last season. He's a guy that can't help you on passing downs. So. I would say the running game is a bit of a question mark, but they're so good from a passing offense, and their defense turned it up a notch when it mattered the most in the playoff. You know, the, the defensive line might be a little bit older, but they could still get after the quarterback, and I agree with you. I mean, the linebackers are as good as it gets, especially with Devin White. I mean, the sky is the limit for this third-year player. It's tough to go against the Bucks. Even though history probably tells us that it's going to be tough for him, for them to repeat. How about the AFC, Brandon? I mean, who is your top team there? Because when you look at the top teams, I mean, the Bucks are in everybody's top five. But then you have a bunch of AFC teams. Like you have the Chiefs, the Browns, the Bills. You probably still put like the Ravens in there. Again, the Chargers are probably going to be one of those sexy picks to get into the top 10. So there are a lot of AFC teams that are just kind of lining up there. So I'm curious to find out who your top team in the AFC is. Like you said, it's so much closer than the NFC. Um, the, the AFC is as competitive as ever. It's, it's the most competitive it's been in, you know, two decades. But I'm going to have to go with my boys. I'm going to have to go with the Cleveland Browns. Teams like the Bills and the Chiefs, I don't want to discredit them in any way. I just I think the Bills lack in the superstar aspect, and I think the Chiefs lack on the defensive side of the ball. Um, the Browns, they, you know, they, they made it to the divisional round last year, and they were, are still one of the most improved teams this offseason, especially defensively. Um, your defensive line... It, it was lackluster because of Miles Garrett was literally the only guy you had on that team. But uh, you have Jadavian Clowney now who is in a do-or-die situation. The man has to prove that he still has it for his career. So if we ever are going to see the best Clowney, it needs to be this year. Um, you also got Tack McKinley, who's a former first-round pick that is still needing to prove himself. So that defensive line is going to look a lot better than it was. You got Malik Jackson, who's a former Super Bowl champion. The interior of the D-line is it's a little bit older, so we have that veteran presence. And the linebacking core, you go ahead and bring in Anthony Walker and draft Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa. And I don't think anything is stopping the Browns this year. The secondary, it took a big hit last year because of injuries and everything like that. But uh, you get Greedy Williams back, you get Grant Delpit back, you go ahead and draft Greg Newsom. And you got Denzel Ward starting for you still. So there's very few secondaries in the league that I think can keep up with Cleveland. 
And that's just talking about the defensive side of the ball. You have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, who by a million miles is the best running back duo in football. Um, you have a very strong receiving core. And I think uh, a man by the name of Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to surprise a lot of people next year. He technically was one of the most efficient and uh, explosive receivers in the league last year. You know, his play load was pretty low. He only had about 25 catches last year, but the dude averaged like 18 yards a catch or something. It was it was pretty historical. So, And then you have Baker, who is the absolute best when he's got a chip on his shoulder, and this is the biggest chip he's had in the league. He, he needs to prove that he can take the Browns to the Super Bowl. There's no excuse for Baker to not be a top quarterback in the league this year. He has everything around him. The best offensive line in the league, arguably. There's there's not a piece Baker's missing on the offensive side of the ball. So, uh, And with a chip on his shoulder, I don't think anything's holding him back. My top three teams were the Cleveland Browns, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Buffalo Bills. And started thinking, like, which team is the best from all aspects? And I hate to agree with you, but it's true. I, I think it is the Cleveland Browns, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, Cleveland Browns have been the doormat of the NFL for so long. But then last year, they proved to everyone that, hey, they're on their way up, and they beat the Steelers. And and now it looks like it's basically Super Bowl or bust. The only question mark, I guess, is can they live up to those expectations? Because teams that are near the top, if we're talking about the Bills, the Chiefs, they've been there before. They've gone on and proven themselves. The Chiefs have won a Super Bowl. They've been to two Super Bowls straight. The Bills have kind of slowly taken their game up a notch every year, and we saw what Josh Allen did last year. Can the Cleveland Browns live up to the expectations when everybody is high on them? Last year, nobody expected the Cleveland Browns to get into the playoffs, especially after they failed in 2019. But now, everything is at an all-time high. I mean, Cleveland fans are excited. We're talking about, you know, Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski, Super Bowl or bust. It's tough sometimes to, to live up to it, and I think we saw that in 2019 when they just fell flat on their faces. I mean, it's, it's a different team. It's a different coaching staff. It's a lot more mature guys on the roster, and they've built up that defense. They've done a tremendous job as far as the front office. But that's probably my, my biggest question mark. Can they live up to it when everybody expects you to either go to the AFC Championship game or the Super Bowl? You pointed out one thing that I really like. This is a much more mature team than it was two years ago, you know. And I think that's the key. I, you know, pressure makes diamonds. You know, Baker is a totally different person than he was two years ago. I think Odell is in a different spot. And all these guys kind of know the situation. And in 2019, you know, when the you had the whole Freddie Kitchens mess, I really think they kind of had this concept in their head. You know, we, we have the, one of the best rosters in football. We're going to be one of the best teams, and they realize it's not that simple. You know, they got Kevin Stefanski, who's a real old-school coach. Who's, you get your crap done, and you celebrate after, you know. Like, like, we're here to play football, and it's as simple as that. And I really think the hype is, is different to them because they, they saw that hype, you know, a year or two ago, and they weren't able to live up to it. The hype doesn't control what we do. We do what we do, and – I really do think they can. And like I've said, Baker Baker succeeds with a chip on his shoulder and loves Kevin Stefanski's system. Kevin Stefanski loves him. Um, I've never seen a more comfortable Baker Mayfield. And 
when it's all on the line, I really, I really do have faith in Baker to take this team all the way. I was still reserved in terms of putting the Cleveland Browns number one in my rankings in the AFC. And it's because of Baker. Look, to mm-hmm. me, he's not a top 10 quarterback. And when you you don't have a top 10 quarterback, it's tough to win a Super Bowl. It's not only about getting there. It's not only about becoming a playoff contender. It's about winning the big one. I mean, that's a lot to ask. When you, we're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, we're talking about the best football player in the game and Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen, we saw the uh, how he took his game to another level in his third year. Baker took the league by storm as a rookie and then took a huge dive in his second year. He rebounded in his third year, but you still see limitations to Baker. Baker is not one of those guys that's going to win you the game. And and when it comes down to it in the playoffs, people are going to stop the run and let Baker beat them. I don't think he can do it like in Kansas City. I don't think he can do it in Buffalo on the road. I'm not a Baker Mayfield fan. I mean, you're you're making it sound so good. I mean, you're basically saying, look, him and Stefanski are joined at the hip. I mean, they've they've got a good thing cooking, but I just I don't trust Baker. And you know, I I can respect that. I really can. And I can agree with you on a lot of that. Actually, I don't I don't ever think Baker's going to be the guy to win you the football game, but I do think he's going to be the guy that won't lose it for you. And, you know, I'll take into account some of the things from last year, like just that drive against the Ravens. That's something I'm trying to hold on to. And, you know, the Ravens have one of the better defenses in football. And that was one case where I saw, you know, maybe Baker can actually lead a team on a game-winning drive. You know, that game didn't end up how we wanted it to because he actually ended up scoring too fast. But, I mean, if, if he could figure out that clock management issue and if it comes down to it and Baker needs to, you know, be the guy with and win the game with his arm. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, they're getting taken care of, and Bake needs to win it with his arm. I'm not saying that he's going to do it guaranteed 100%, but I, I think it's unfair to him to say that he can't because he's proven it a couple times, and I really think his arm talent is pretty underrated. I have faith in Baker. Like I've said, he's proven it against top defenses like the Ravens. You know, only time will tell if, you know, a Super Bowl team against a defense like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you know, if we're if we're talking about Baker Mayfield last year, I don't think he wins that. I don't think he wins a game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. I think they would have absolutely obliterated him. If he can show growth this season, if the Browns can work together as a whole, I really do think that they can be a competitor. Baker Mayfield wouldn't have won that Super Bowl because Patrick Mahomes wasn't able to win that Super Bowl. Exactly. So. The only thing is, I mean, the the Browns have a better offensive line. The Chiefs didn't have the bookends. They didn't have the left tackle. They didn't have the right tackle. So Mahomes was basically running for his life. And you mentioned earlier that, Brandon, that, you know, the Browns do have one of the best offensive lines in football, and that's what, it's, uh, that's what it starts with. It starts in the trenches. If, if you have a good defensive line, if you have a good offensive line, you're going to be all right. You're going to be a playoff contender. But when I start thinking of the quarterback, like give me a quarterback to win that one game in the playoffs, Baker Mayfield is like way down the list. I'm not, I'm sure that Baker is like 25th on my list. You know, he's not the guy that I think of to take me to the promised land to win that game on the road. And I struggled with that. I saw a different player at times last year. Again, this isn't the Freddie Kitchens, Browns anymore. Stefanski is a lot smarter. 
He uses Baker Mayfield's strengths. He uses him off of play action pass. He loves to run the football, and that's how they're built. Can he, like, take care of the football when it matters the most against an elite defense? And I say no. If he takes this team to the Super Bowl, I'll warm up to Baker. But I think those days of Brad Johnson winning the Super Bowl with the Bucks back in the day, you know, the Ravens winning the Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer as kind of a caretaker, not a great quarterback, but they had a great defense. I think those days are over. If you want to win the Super Bowl, you got to have a very good quarterback at the helm. And I think that's what we're seeing the last, like, you know, seven to ten years. You can have a great defense, but you need a playmaker at the quarterback position. And Baker is just not a playmaker. And plus, how is he going to react when OBJ comes back? I felt like he was a lot more relaxed when Odell got injured. And then all Baker had to do was kind of just not look at OBJ anymore because he wasn't there. He was just spreading the ball around to different guys. You know, Higgins, Landry, you know, Hunt, Chubb. When OBJ comes back, you know that he's still going to have it in the back of his mind. I got to look for him. I got to look for him or he's going to be in my ear, you know, when we get to the sideline. I think that's also going to be a, a tough thing to deal with when they get back on the field in 2021. Yeah, that's fair. I The Odell situation is one that I'm still skeptical on, but I'm optimistic at the same time. I really do think having Odell on the field, it creates this mental thing for you. You know, like you said, you know, I got I got to get this guy the ball. He's a playmaker. I got to get him the ball. But the way I look at it is you have a panic Baker Mayfield. And, you know, in a system I'm not necessarily comfortable with, who am I going to huck the ball up to? I'm going to huck the ball up to one of the better playmakers of the decade, you know. So, And I'm hoping that with Baker kind of settling down in this system, understanding the system, understanding what he has to do, he needs to do his job, and it's that simple. You know, Odell coming off an ACL tear, you have to, you know, kind of keep in mind, you know, this guy's coming off of a serious injury. We got to, you know, keep it light with him. We have we have other playmakers like and guys that are uprising like Donovan Peoples-Jones, who I mentioned before. We have other people that can be the, that guy to, you know, win you a game as a receiver. I, I don't know if Odell, you know, has this phenomenal, like, 1,000-yard season or anything. I don't. I can't see that, you know, with the age he's at coming off of that tear. But I just think situationally now that he knows the offense, he knows what he needs to do, he's coming off of an injury, they kind of take it lighter with OBJ, kind of have him play a different role. Um, another thing that's great about getting OBJ back is the run game. is It's much more efficient with OBJ on the field. And, you know, even if that's like 20, 25 yards a game, that's still – you know, two first downs that could change the entirety of a game for you. You know, I do. I do think getting uh, OBJ back will be a benefit for the offense. It depends if Baker can get that. You know, mentality to I need to get this playmaker the ball. I need to force him the ball. That needs to disappear. If that can, I think OBJ will be good for the Browns. Let's talk about another NFC team that has a huge question mark heading into training camp because. The situation hasn't been resolved, and, and that's the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers have this dilemma with Aaron Rodgers. If you haven't heard about it, then probably you're not paying attention during this offseason, but basically Aaron Rodgers has stated that he wants out. He feels betrayed by that front office, by the ownership. He likes the coaches. He loves his teammates, but 
He just feels like it's time for him to move on. It also sounds like the Packers don't want to trade him. They don't want to let go. He just won an MVP in 2020 when no one expected him to. It seemed like he was more motivated. It seemed like he wanted to stick it to the Green Bay Packers when, you know, they drafted Jordan Love in the first round last year. Aaron Rodgers knew that that's his replacement because he's been there before. He replaced the great Brett Favre back in the day. So he knows the the story. He knows the ending. When you draft a quarterback in the first round, it's more likely your replacement. How do you think this is going to end? I mean, is he? do you think he's going to report to training camp? Do you think he's going to play for the Packers this season? Give me your uh, analysis here. So I think the Packers should not part ways, and I don't think they will part ways. I think he's going to be at training camp. I honestly think once once everything's rolling around, it's going to be like nothing ever happened. It's really, you mentioned, he's coming off of an MVP season, and you, you have him under contract for two more years, I believe. So that's a two-year span. I think you have left to win a Super Bowl. If you get rid of Aaron Rodgers and you want to start Doran Love, you're lying to yourself if you think you're winning a Super Bowl under those conditions. It's just not happening. Um, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers had what, nearly 50 touchdowns last season. There's no reason he's not going to get you at least 30, 35 next year. So you have until his contract's up to win another Super Bowl. You're not you're not winning a Super Bowl with anybody else under your belt anytime soon, at least. I mean, your offense is good enough to win a Super Bowl right now as well. You have a solid offensive line there to protect him. They're trying to sign Devontae Adams long-term. you got Robert Tanyan, who's an upcoming uh, star tight end in this league, and a backfield that has A.J. Dillon and um, Aaron Jones, who they just extended to a four-year contract. So I just you have the pieces right now to win right now the only thing standing in your way is Tom Brady and the Buccaneers and you're not getting through that without Aaron Rodgers I don't I don't care how ugly the situation is I don't care what Aaron Rodgers has said about my organization I'm doing everything in my power to keep him here and make sure that he's happy even if it seems like I've disrespected him I'm keeping Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay you know the one thing that really amazes me the the front office the ownership they have played this this dirty game through the media, through Twitter, through ESPN.com, feel like they've gone back and forth. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has a right to say some bad things about you. I mean, you did a disservice to him. I mean, you drafted Jordan Love, for God's sake, when you should have drafted a, like a wide receiver in the first round. You should have given him some help. I mean, you can't keep doing it with undrafted free agent wide receivers out there. And in my opinion, Aaron Rodgers has had less weapons than any of the star quarterbacks out there. I mean, we've mentioned, you know, guys that, you know, like the Chiefs, the Bucks. I mean, look at their wide receivers. I mean, they're loaded. And, you know, poor Aaron Rodgers has like Devontae Adams and nobody else. I feel like the Packers should have just stayed quiet, tried to reach out to him, tried to reach out to his representatives, his agent, and just sit down with him behind closed doors to kind of iron these things out. But they've done a complete opposite. Like, they've taken this thing really personally. You know, this is a business. You know, the NFL is a business. I mean, you can't make it personal. Players are going to attack the organization. I mean, we saw what Russell Wilson did, you know, a few months ago when he attacked the Seahawks and, and tried to possibly do... You know, the same thing that Aaron Rodgers is doing right now. But it seemed like that thing quieted down. And I assume that the Seahawks had a sit down with Russell. 
I'm sure they told him, we're committed to you. You're our guy. That's it. We're moving forward. And this is what the Packers should have done. Like, Jordan Love is for the future, Aaron. You're here for the next couple of years. We're committed to you. We've got a good enough team to go to the Super Bowl. And I just think the the Packers have handled this situation all wrong. Yeah, I, I could totally agree with you. I wouldn't even be surprised to say this thing got blown out of pres- proportion simply because the media got a hold of the story. Um, like you said, it needed to be done behind closed doors because like sports media just has so much power nowadays to, you know, influence storylines and, you know, it may be not even necessarily be true, but you know, the fact that Aaron Rodgers was unhappy and the Packers knew that and they did a disservice to him by, you know, drafting love and not getting him more help. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it got blown out of the water and, and it just makes everything uglier and it probably causes even more problems that were non-existent to start with because, you know, people are coming out with, you know, things that may not necessarily be true that people think is true and just creates these storylines that are just so ridiculous. You know, the one thing that I'm holding on to is uh, Peyton Manning a couple of days ago just said that he doesn't think Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere. So I think that just kind of shows that this the media really kind of like helped blow this story up because they found out Aaron Rodgers was simply unhappy and that's just not something you can let happen when you're, you know, this this ready to win a Super Bowl. I honestly thought that Aaron Rodgers was going to retire. That he was, you know, having a good time. He went on Jeopardy. He was a guest host. It seems like, you know, he did a good good enough job. It looks like it might be his job to take, you know, something that he will be able to do after football, which is, I mean, you can't say that for a lot of football players out there, that he's smart and, you know, he might have a future out there after he's done playing. I actually thought that he was going to retire, that he was going to bluff and let the Packers handle the situation. Unless they trade him to another team, that Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to come out of retirement. I thought this was going to end all wrong, like the, the Barry Sanders situation back in the day in Detroit. And, you know, I just felt like that's how it was going to end with Aaron Rodgers here. And right now it looks like, you know, he, he tried to do his best. He, he tried to bluff it. But it looks like, I mean, the Packers stood still and he's going to report. I don't trust the Packers. When you have a rift with the team, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is going to be fine. I mean, he's going to be playing well with that chip on his shoulder. And he has been doing that throughout his career. But I just think, like, the Packers are probably one of those teams that's going to take a step back because it just doesn't seem like they are a a unit that's together out there. And I just... Green Bay is going to take a step back, and I just don't think they're in the same class as the Tampa Bay Bucks in 2021. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And, you know, one thing that happens with them every year is they're, they're almost a guarantee to make it to the NFC Championship. It just happens every year, but come game time, they just get blown out of the water, and it's because of the same reason every single year. Your offense can't produce enough, and your defense, when it matters most, your defense, it just crap hits the fan. Uh and they didn't. They really didn't do much to, to upgrade that. You know, you believe they drafted Eric Stokes, but I mean, um, that wasn't even the best cornerback available. So I, I can 100% agree with you. I think they will be taking a little bit of a step back. Still think they will be one of the best teams in the NFC, but I, I can't see them getting past Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. There's no chance. Another team that's can that's been making a lot of waves during this off season. 
and they've been basically doing it themselves actually it's the los angeles rams the los angeles rams shipped jared goff to detroit they traded for matthew stafford sean McVay has been talking him up you know he believes that matthew stafford is going to run his offensive system to perfection and the rams are basically have put themselves in a in a tight corner because McVeigh is telling anybody who would listen that, hey, I'm going to go to the Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford. He's my guy, and we have a good enough team because now we have a real quarterback. That's McVeigh talking. I mean, he's basically putting down Jared Goff a bit and, uh, you know, hyping up Matthew Stafford, who hasn't done much in this league. Obviously played in a, for a bad Detroit Lions franchise, but it's not like he elevated them to be better. I can't think of one game where Matthew Stafford basically had that signature win where he was able to beat, you know, the Chicago Bears when they, they were good a couple of years ago with that defense. Or he was able to beat the Green Bay Packers when it mattered the most. He never had that signature win. Jared Goff still took you to the Super Bowl. Say what you want, but the Rams were playing in the Super Bowl a couple of years back. Yes, they were embarrassed by the New England Patriots, but it wasn't only Jared Goff's fault. Are you buying... You know, Sean McVay hyping up Matthew Stafford. and Are you buying the Rams as a Super Bowl contender? So I'm buying that Matt Stafford will have a very good season. I believe that fully. I am not buying that they're going to be a Super Bowl team. I'm not. And, you know, you may have gotten uh, Matt Stafford, but you shot yourself in the foot on the defensive side of the ball big time. The biggest thing in your team last year, you know, obviously you have Aaron Donald, and that's never going to change. He's but, you know, arguably the best player in football. But that secondary was what really, really was special about the defense last year. And that defense, it was the number one pass defense in football. And you, you took a big hit. You lost uh, John Johnson to the Browns, who was the third highest graded uh, safety in football. Uh, lose Troy Hill to the Browns as well. So, and those are two starters in that, in that number one ranked secondary. So, Secondary is just so important if you want to if you are trying to win a Super Bowl like defense in general and I really don't think that defense will be the best defense in football anymore. I think they they take a decent step back and offensively, like you said, um, Matt Stafford, you know he he may have had a couple of you know game winning drives and you know he, he he's known for his game winning drives and winning it on the last drive, but. You, you mentioned he he never really elevated others around him. He may be playing well himself, but he doesn't necessarily make the team better. And I don't know if that offense anymore without, you know, the prime Todd Gurley and, you know, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, they're, they're very good receivers, but I don't think those are guys that are, you know, going to scare you for a Super Bowl win. And I, don't, I honestly think that these receivers are – you know, maybe a little bit less than, than what he had in Detroit the last couple of years. You had Kenny Galladay and, and, you know, Marvin Jones are very solid receivers. Kenny Galladay is the top receiver in the league, and I don't think Cooper Cup and uh, Robert Woods are better than Kenny Galladay. So, no, I don't see them going to the Super Bowl. I think you're selling those wide receivers short because uh, I think Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are extremely underrated. Nobody ever talks about them, but all they do is just catch the ball and then get open. Plus, they have Cam Akers. Don't forget, I mean, the second-year running back kind of had a coming-out party at the end of the season. McVay is going to trust him a little bit more, so it's not all going to be on the passing game of Matthew Stafford. I think Akers is going to become a central part of that offense. I agree that the defense is going to be worse, but I think the offense is going to elevate 
But when you look at that division, though, right, the NFC West, that's the toughest division in, in football as far as I'm concerned. Because you've got the Arizona Cardinals, you've got the Seattle Seahawks, and you've got the 49ers. And the 49ers have all those people back from injuries, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So this isn't going to be a cakewalk. I mean, the Rams are in for a battle. And we're talking about them not being a Super Bowl contender. I mean, when you look at that division, it's not a done deal that the Rams are going to make the playoffs. Right. I agree with you. That's by far the most competitive division in football. And, you know, I don't think anybody can sit here and confidently say who's going to win that division. The 49ers could be, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum. If everybody comes back healthy and picks up right where they left off, there's a serious chance the Niners take a chance or take a shot at number one in the division. And, you know, you can never count Russell Wilson out. I don't care how bad the rest of Seattle teams is. Uh, that defense has been awful for the last three years, but Russ is still there, you know, making them a playoff team every single year. He's just that guy in the Cardinals. I mean, they're one of the more improved teams this offseason. You, you bolster that defense. You brought in J.J. Watt, and you bring in, you know, A.J. Green to help elevate Kyler Murray. And, you know, Kyler Murray somebody I think takes a step forward next year. And, yeah, I really don't think you can just guarantee that the Rams will even win the division. The head coach, Sean McVay, is basically talking up his new quarterback, anybody that would listen. Do you think if the Rams don't make the playoffs that this love affair with Sean McVay is going to be over? Do you think he'll get fired? I don't want to say he gets fired just yet. Uh, I think it will really, really hurt his um, – Sean McVay is one of the most like loved and appreciated coaches throughout the league, it seems like. And I think that will take a huge hit if he's you know giving this hype. And you know the, the things he's saying about in uh, Matt Stafford are like – of extremely high regards, you know, and if you, if you're hyping your team up this much and you don't make the playoffs, you're definitely going to be in the hot seat the next year. I think he's already on the hot seat and he kind of backed himself into this corner because he basically said, all right, Jared Goff is not my quarterback. I didn't draft him. I did the best I could. We went to the Super Bowl, but I can't work with him. He shipped them off and then he brought in Matthew Stafford. He should have been just been quiet. Working behind closed doors, letting Matthew Stafford, you know, learn his new offensive system. And I think that would have been best. But McVeigh has been talking a lot. When you talk a lot and the media kind of hypes it up and it's everywhere, that means the expectations become even larger in that building, in that front office, for that ownership. I just think that if McVeigh falls flat on his face, and he's not able to deliver a playoff run or at least get into the playoffs, I think you got to cut bait. You just traded for Matthew Stafford. You're not going to get rid of those players out there. The coach is usually the first one to go because it, it's the easiest thing to do to kind of replace him. Like if McVay wins like six or seven games next year, I would fire him. If he only wins six, seven games next year, I, I could definitely see him getting fired. And you created such a – I don't think it's an impossible expectation for yourself, but it's a very high expectation, you know, hype your team up. Like, you know, every team says, oh, I'm going to go win the Super Bowl. But, I mean, you know, top teams like the Buccaneers, and they don't need to say those things, you know. You don't – they they let their actions speak for themselves. So if you're, if you're telling the world that you're going to do this, you better do it, you know. Brandon, it was a pleasure having you on. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, giving your input and talking a little football with me. 
Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I had a fantastic time, my friend. All right, Brandon. Uh, again, maybe we'll come back next week if Ed is continuing to enjoy his vacation. So stay tuned. Maybe I'll have you on next week as well. Sounds good. I would love to. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bloodscast. Take care, everyone.